Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Slow Burn Media and Phil Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. All this stuff that's on the news, um, I just found, just found my cousin with a gunshot wound. Good evening. They were all shot in the head, execution style. Eight members of the same extended family living in a rural part of southern Ohio. Authorities found marijuana grow operations at three of the four crime scenes. That has now led to speculation that the killings may be drug-related. The state crime lab is analyzing more than 100 pieces of evidence right now. Investigators have also fielded more than 450 tips and interviewed nearly 130 people. Investigators are still asking anyone with information to call this number, 855-BCI-OHIO. There's plenty of places for people to grow marijuana. We're also a very, very poor county, one of the poorest counties in the state of Ohio, and people grow marijuana as a cash crop. There was, of course, a family that was targeted. The Roden family was targeted, and so we have talked with the members of the Roden family uh, and expressed our concern about their safety uh, and asked them to be extremely cautious. I think, you know, we can speculate what the motive was. You can talk about revenge, you can talk about um, drug-related, but frankly, we just don't know. We do not know whether we're talking about one individual or two or three or more. Uh, We simply do not know that at this point. Hopefully soon some healing will begin. I don't know when, but I hope soon, for their sake. It looks like they're dead. You think they're both dead? I think they're both dead. Now, as of right now, DeWine says about 30 people have been questioned about today's events. So far, there are no persons of interest. As we speak right now, investigators are still looking for clues at that crime scene. We're live in Piketon. Craig, will send it back to you. And discoveries of the murder scenes are now advancing the theory the killings could be related to a drug cartel. Extremely emotional. Very, very emotional service. Uh, I can't imagine what they're going through. It was standing room only at today's funeral. Christopher Roden Sr., Dana Roden, their three children, Clarence, Hannah, Christopher Roden Jr., were all laid to rest. Extremely somber. It's probably the most emotional thing I've ever experienced in my life. It it has rocked our entire uh, community. Well, Craig, both Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder and Attorney General Mike DeWine met with family and friends of the Roden family tonight. They have a warning for whoever may have done this. We're coming. When this investigation is complete, it's going to point us in the direction that we need to go. 
and we'll find who did this. Strong words tonight from Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder, who says he's never seen anything as horrific as this. I've served locally for 20 years in law enforcement and never have I ever uh, imagined such devastation to a family, to a county, uh, to myself or staff. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. As you can tell from the trailer, this week we will be covering the Pike County Massacre, the murder of eight family members in rural Ohio. And the person that I am going to have a conversation with about this case is everybody's favorite, Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast. So we will be discussing this case in detail in part one and part two. So let's jump into my conversation with Nick from the fabulous True Crime Garage podcast. Thanks again for listening. Welcome back to the show, Nick. It has been a while. How have you been, man? It has been a while. And I've been what? missing you. That's how I've been. Oh, I've been well. I've been getting my bill fixed by tuning into the show, and I think the show's been great lately. It's well, it was, it was good in the beginning as well. So I don't know great lately, but uh, I wanted to give you some kudos because you you've recently had on a great author, Marine Boyle. Now she yes. did the Shallow Graves book a mm. couple years ago, and. You know, I, I'm very lucky. I, there's some listeners out there that over the years have sent me books and they're like, Hey, you, Nick, you gotta read this true crime book. It's a case that I would love for you to cover, but even if you don't, I know you love to read true crime, check out this book because it's one of my favorite true crime books. So somebody, some awesome listener out there sent me the, the shallow graves book and I was very happy to read it, and I agreed with the listener. It was a very good true crime book. It's about the New Bedford killer from the late 80s in Massachusetts, still unsolved. And Maureen, she points out several good suspects, uh, one in particular in that that book. And then I tune into Who Killed?, and I get to hear Bill. And what do I? What do my ears tell me shortly into the show? Oh, Maureen Boyle's going to be on, and she's there to talk about her new book, The Ghost, which covered the case of uh, Chief of Police Greg Adams. What a freaking sad story! This dude's like what thirty, thirty-one years old. Thirty-one, thirty-one year old police chief in a small town, new family, young wife, young kid, killed senselessly by this chump criminal who's on the run what was his name webb something webb eugene donald eugene webb wow some some like low life uh new england hanger on new england mob hanger on and i was so glad that you covered it because i have this really extremely long list of cases uh many of them are suggested by our listeners but some i throw on there myself and I actually had thrown that case onto our list a while ago because I had remembered seeing that case on Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid. And it was one of those ones that came with an update, you know, years <laughs> yeah. later where they're like, oh, well, we we found this Donald Eugene Webb. Uh, he was living with this woman this whole time, uh, hiding out all these years. And I mean, there were a lot of people that thought the dude was dead. 
uh, and had been dead for years. But uh, what an interesting case. And I was I was really glad to tune in and hear the two of you talk about it um, and heartbreaking stuff with that with that young chief of police. Yeah. And it was she's she's great. She's a really good uh, interview and she really knows her stuff. I mean, she spent 25 years as a reporter covering, you know, all sorts of crime and stuff in, in the New England area. So it's definitely a, definitely a great resource. And and she's always good to good to be on. So I appreciate you uh, compliment me, complimenting her on her work and uh, having her on the show. Well, and for any of the True Crime Garage listeners tuning into Who Killed This Week, make sure you check out our show because we're getting ready to head down to CrimeCon down in Austin, Texas, a city that I love the state of Texas, but Austin, I've never been to, always have wanted to go. So I'm excited for that. And I'm hoping uh, we're, we're working real hard here in the garage to try to put some things together leading up to that. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we can cover a Texas case or maybe even an Austin, Texas case before going down there. So uh, yeah, and anybody that wants to check that, out the garage, check it out. Speaking of that, now, wasn't Austin where the yogurt shop murder case took place? Yes. Yes, it was. And we talked about that in the garage. We talked about it here on your show. Um, yes, we did. And that is a fascinating case. And uh, years ago, we were asked and we did it on True Crime Garage where we listed our our top five or top ten unsolved cases that we had covered. Um and yogurt shop for me certainly made that list. That's that's an extremely intriguing case. Uh, I, I my head it's, it's awful. It's an it. it's an awful case. I mean, yeah. it's it's just young women just cut short of their you know lives that they were they were literally just two of them were at work. Two of them I mean, they were. That's uh, just a sad sad story. Well, but, and for uh, people who've been intrigued and fascinated over the years by the West Memphis three case, mm-hmm. uh, yogurt shop to me is the case that mirrors West Memphis three the most. There's so many weird similarities between the two cases, the victims, all underage children, uh, wrongful convictions in both cases overturned in both cases. It's, uh, and teenagers killing underage people it's it's the it's bizarre it's bizarro world and and they roughly you know just within a couple of years of each other as well yeah and you know it it's it is one of those things i think when i started researching the austin uh the yogurt shop murders that's what led me to the lake waco murders and that was a whole nother wild case and yeah there's a i mean texas Texas, there's more than a few cases that you can choose from between now and uh, CrimeCon uh, yeah. that that you could pick from because uh, you know the great state of Texas is uh, mighty big and a lot of bad things go down there. We've done a lot of Texas cases, so much so that I think the captain sometimes gets annoyed. He's like, "Oh, great, Nick, another Texas case." I I love the state of Texas and I'm I'm fascinated by their their crime history. I mean, we I, just a couple that. T- off the top of my head, we covered the ice box killer, uh, okay. Missy, Missy beavers still unsolved. Mm-hmm. That's the yes. case where somebody dressed up in the SWAT team uniform and just roamed a church until she showed up there. The guy's walking around for hours, guy or girl. Yeah. Don't remember. Don't know. Could and be either or 
it's believed that a hammer was used to attack this poor woman as she arrives to this church to lead a, an aerobics class or, or a CrossFit type of uh, class. We have also covered, you know, Yogurt Shop, which which you mentioned, uh, the Fort Worth Missing Trio. Fort Worth Missing Trio is a weird case from from way back when of three girls who go out on a shopping trip and they just never return. And what was weird about that was right around the time we were covering it, I have a friend down there who's a private investigator. And at the time she was working on that case and contacted me and said, Hey, why didn't you reach out to me? I've been working on this case. I said, well, I don't know what you're working on. Um, <laughs> so she reaches out to me and they were, they were pulling vehicles out of a lake down there with the idea that they could find the vehicle that the girls were driving that day. And if they could find the actual vehicle that they were driving that day, they think it would lead to one of the top suspects, somebody that who has been suspected over the years. But that's one of those bizarro cases where uh, this, this woman and two girls go missing and then, you know, a letter shows up magically within a couple of days explaining that they're, they, oh, we just had to get away for a while. And then you have to wonder, you know, did they actually write this letter and take off or did the person responsible for their disappearance write this? And that's what I, I think actually happened. And we, we were able to actually do a little tracking down and tracing of the uh, postage processing stamp that, that goes on. Uh, when when someone mails a letter to kind of track down the area of where it was sent from. The weird thing in that case, though, is with the processing stamp, there's uh, a deformity in one of the numbers. So then it makes it that it could either be this number or that number. It could only be one of two numbers. And that leads you to two completely different locations that are oddly enough, somewhat close to where the letter arrived to. Uh, so intriguing stuff. Um, and yeah, yogurt shop, it, it's yogurt shop for me falls into a lot of these different cases. And what we're about to talk about today fall into that same grouping of cases that you go, why isn't this solved yet? And th there's plenty of reason, there's plenty of meat on the bone why this should be solved. And that's that certainly is true in my mind and heart with Yogurt Shop. And this is what I always thought with the with the Piketon County massacre, the Piketon shootings, whatever you want to call it. It has so many different names. That it's yeah, I mean, it's kind years. of taken on the moniker of the Pike County massacre is is what most people kind of refer to it as and or the pike county massacre and and it basically you know what we're talking about you know it is a strange case and it is very similar in in the sense that uh, you think it's a case that should be solved pretty easily because of the fact that there's three crime scenes i mean what we have here is you know on the night of april 21st or in the morning of april 22nd you know eight people from the same family with the rodents were murdered. I mean, shot execution style. And, you know, according to reports, it was, you know, a well-planned murder and it was carried out in four different locations. I said three before, but it was four 
two of the locations were literally within walking distance. Yeah. And that is crazy. And then seven of the eight victims were found in three homes along the same road. And this was in Peebles, which is just 70 miles east of Cincinnati. And then there was an eighth victim that was found in nearby Piketon. So I think that's the reason why it's kind of taken on all these different names because all these different places where these things happened. And, you know, one of the craziest things about this case is the range of ages and who was killed. I mean, you had Hannah Gilly, who was 20. You had Christopher Roden, who was senior, who was 40. And then, uh, no, that I mean, then you had Junior, Christopher Junior, 16, Frankie Roden, 20, Dana Roden, 37. I mean, this is just a, I mean, this is terrible. Hannah, Gary, and Kenneth. I mean, this is just an absolute massacre, you know, no pun intended. But I think what's one thing to take into mind here is that when this crime scene was discovered by a family member, there were three children that actually weren't harmed. So you had a four-day-old infant, a six-month-old baby, and a three-year-old. So think about that for a second. Yeah, I mean, and th that's a whole weird dynamic in itself because what you have essentially is you have someone or some ones who are intruding into these homes onto the properties coming in and killing essentially it looks like to go in there and annihilate everyone but then at some point having some space in their heart to go all right well we're not going to kill the little child that's here and it's very it's very bizarre because and i and i apologize i misspoke earlier all four of these locations were in Pike County, Ohio, which is what about 60 miles yeah. east of Cincinnati ish. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a small town. I mean, it's, it's rural Ohio. And if anybody knows Southern Southwestern Ohio, it's, it is pretty rural once you get outside of uh, Cincinnati and especially if you're going east. I mean, it's kind of like no man's land down there by the Ohio River and, you know, just on the border of West Virginia. It's it's pretty much, I mean, I guess they're down by Kentucky at that point, but either way. So all eight victims are in the, belong to the Roden family or are involved in living with a Roden family member, all four homes in Pike County, Ohio, and you have the little village of Peebles and the nearby town, or is it a village of Piketon? Um, this is all yeah. very small middle America type uh, area. It's uh, about 60 miles South of where I live. And it's very rural community area. What, what just about under 30,000 people living. Yeah. There. I mean, it's, it's very small. I mean, again, like I mentioned, I think the town itself only had 1200 people right uh, the county people. i think has about the county 20, has 30 000. yeah 20 or thirty thousand people yeah that's i mean that's tiny amount of people but what they do have is they have a lot of rolling hills and uh a lot of places where you know you can do certain things like grow marijuana and 
stuff like that. And that's been used down in Cincinnati and, you know, they've been caught in the past. And that's something that also was interesting in my opinion that came up when this case first hit the news was that right off the bat, they're talking about how they found a marijuana grow operation and how quickly that turned into rumor and innuendo. It's just amazing. One thing that's crazy about that, this case too, is the domino effect, right? I've not seen such a domino effect in most cases that we talk about. And what I mean by that here is that we have the initial discovery of the one family being practically wiped out. Mm-hmm. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, well, all these members of the Roden family were killed here in this location. Oh, and by the way, you can walk to the next Roden family location. They've been murdered. There's been an attack there as well. So-and-so didn't show up for, I, I can't remember if it was work or if it was school, but now they're like, well, we should probably send law enforcement over to check on that family because as the day goes along, no one's heard from them. Right. And then we have, I believe it was a cousin that's like, well, I haven't heard from my cousin who, you know, part of the Roden family, I better go check on them. And then he shows up and sure enough, this individual who was living by himself, I think it was Kenneth that might've been living by himself. Um, yeah. The cousin shows up and think about this. You're the cousin, right? You've <laughs> seen on the news, you're hearing from your family members that a large portion of your family has been wiped out essentially overnight. You, everybody went to bed the night before everything was fine. It was business and life as usual. You wake up in the morning and as the day progresses, you're hearing of more and more members of your family and sometimes entire, uh, an entire family grouping within that larger family wiped out. And you're going, it's like noon. It's like one, all of the rest of the family's kind of talking, right. That, that are still alive. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard from my cousin yet. And as the minutes tick off, as they go by, you're starting to go, somebody may have gotten to him as well. And so this guy goes, he goes, I'm going to go over there and check on my cousin. You can hear it in his voice on the 911 call. He expected, he arrived there expecting to find his cousin murdered. Can you imagine? No. He, he says, you know, I, I, not verbatim, I, I don't remember exactly, but he says on the 911 call, very matter-of-factly, I had not heard of my heard from my cousin. I hear this the horrible stuff going on with my family being killed on the news. Even says to the 911 operator, well, you know all the news that's going on right now. I showed up to my cousin's house and he shows up and he's he's trying to like announce that he's there. Nobody wants to find a, a dead body. Nobody wants to stumble upon a, a, an attack in progress. And so he's announcing that he's there. Hey, cousin, it's me. Hey, Kenneth, it's me. I'm here. Is everything okay, buddy? Is there, and the, the, when you're not hearing anything, you're not hearing anything. You're walking and looking for this individual. And what does he find? He finds his cousin shot once right in the eye. Just. And he says very matter-of-factly on the 911 call, I found my cousin. He was shot in the eye. He's dead. I'm going to go outside and wait for you all to arrive. 
God, I mean, that is just absolutely crazy. Hey, can you think of another case where there's a domino effect like that? I mean, no. And what, I think that's the one reason why I took off such, you know, took took on such a media friendly story, became such a media friendly story in the sense that you have this outlying case where a whole family is wiped out in different locations. Yes. We've heard of families getting annihilated pardon the expression, but the, you know, term family annihilator is something that it's a is, real classification it, of criminal. It's a real, it's a, yeah, it's, exactly. And so you've seen families get murdered. I mean, you've seen the Watts case just this past couple of years. I mean, it happens. Families get killed. They kill their family, family side or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or familicide, I think is the proper expression, but either way, that is what drove, I think, so much talk about what the hell actually happened, because no, this doesn't happen. Like you said, I can't think of any case where there were four different crime scenes and a whole family was annihilated in the process. So there had to be a reason for that. Right. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. I want to tell you guys about Best Fiends. It's this great puzzle game that you can play right on your mobile phone. Researching true crime can bring me down a bit, and when it does, that's when I turn to Best Fiends. Clearly, I enjoy solving puzzles, and Best Fiends offers me a new challenge every day. I do want to say it's a casual game that doesn't stress me out, and during these times, this is something we all need. One of the best parts about Best Fiends is whenever I open the game, there is always something new going on, whether it's a new challenge, a fun monthly event, or just new levels. I've reached the 4,000 level, so clearly anyone can play this game. I find moving through all the different puzzle levels is a mindful experience that really relaxes me. And collecting all those different characters is another reason I turn to Best Fiends for a break. If you're tired of the same old puzzle games, this game is for you. Best Fiends is way more than your average mobile puzzle game. The makers of Best Fiends have literally created a whole world right on my phone. The music is awesome, it's bright and colorful, and the graphics are great. I have a favorite character, Temper. He may be small, but he has really helped me through this journey. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. As you guys know, 2020 was terrible, and things are still pretty terrible. But today I am happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. Because if there's anything that's holding you back or interfering with your happiness... BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient because with the current state of the world, it really needs to be. So now you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule secure video or phone sessions. And you can also chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if, for whatever reason, you aren't happy with your counselor, 
you can request a new one at any time. They even have apps for your smartphone or your computer, so you are never out of touch. So again, if you're suffering from anxiety or depression, anger, stress, relationship issues, heck, not getting a good enough night's sleep, trauma, LGBT matters, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. And the thing I like most is that this is actually an affordable option. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So when I get started today, go to betterhelp.com slash who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get you matched with a counselor that you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yes. Yes. And one thing that I always look for and pay a lot of attention to in any of these cases is the words in the language of law enforcement during the press conferences and during Mm -hmm. their news releases, what they say to the media, because, and this is kind of lost on the general public for the most part, but, and, and this is actually one thing, a huge discrepancy between law and order and uh, investigative work on TV compared to in real life. You know, if you tune into Criminal Minds, you have them sitting in living rooms with uh, family members of the victim or of family members of the suspect, and they're openly talking about the case in front of these individuals. That doesn't happen in real life unless you have a bunch of Cub Scouts running your your sheriff's department. Um, Right. So I always pay attention to the language and the words that are coming out from the investigative agency. Why? Because they are trained in words and language. That's a large part of what they do. Why is that? Because they know investigating any type of crime, no matter what type of crime it is, here we're talking about eight people murdered. It doesn't get more gruesome and and high profile than that. But in any type of crime, They deal in language and words because they know for a fact that at least one person will lie to them at some point during the course of their investigation. At least one, probably more than one. But in every case, there will be at least one. And knowing that going into any investigation means that your words, your language has power and has meaning and has real effect on the investigation itself. So any smart investigative agency will be very mindful of the words that they choose to use and release to the public. You brought up something earlier, and this was a really kind of, you know, something that was highlighted, circled and red flagged time and time again in the media in this case. And it was something that law enforcement was presenting to the public that there were, there was marijuana found on three of the four properties. In fact, they use the phrase 
grow operation in yeah three De- of the four properties dewine dewine was quoted as saying uh it, let's see dewine basically he told the reporters at the time it was something much bigger than that it was a very sophisticated operation and basically he said this was far from a grow operation for personal use this was he basically this is where it gets weird because he basically conveyed that it was a commercial grow up and that is something completely different than what the family members eventually came out and said like they were like show us show us the evidence and one thing that took off with the media of course was okay grow operation what do we have is this connected to a cartel i mean only a cartel would murder a a whole family i mean what salacious news that could be you know and that did i mean for a couple days they ran with that and you know it took basically a few people to just kind of step back and go all right let's be realistic is a cartel really gonna wipe out a whole family on u.s soil you know and put themselves in in the eyes and the crosshairs of the US justice system. I don't think so. That's my thought on that. I'm not saying that it's never happened, but it would be extremely extremely rare. And the the thing that I really honed in on with that part of the the investigation is look, I think they did some things very well. They I shouldn't say I think. I now know given that we we have answers mm-hmm. today and we're we're sitting here thankfully god bless we're sitting here today with with the most answers that we've ever had in this investigation in this case but one thing that that i i thought was very smart on their end and look this is just freaking common sense but we've seen plenty of cases where common sense ain't so common right so in this case what they said immediately they being law enforcement was that this is someone that the rodents knew whoever killed them knew them and absolutely uh duh because you don't just you don't randomly show up to four different houses and murder a fan and they happen to be all members of the same family that does that does not happen, right? Right. I've got a royal flush once in my lifetime, and that's more than this situation would ever happen for it to be random. So, um, doesn't, doesn't take a genius to figure that part of the case out. No. So that's the thing that they're armed with. They're they're armed with that fact. That's a fact for them. And any time in it, your investigation that you can turn speculation or even evidence into a hardcore fact, well, now you got something. You got you got a uh, a cornerstone to build your investigation off of. So going into this, they're going, well, we know that whoever killed them knew them. We know that. And then they take it a step further. Again, watching their words, watching their language. We believe that they're local. Well, the majority of the people that would know the rodents would, in fact, be local. That's just that's just probability. It's just you're playing the math. You're playing the 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 cards there and location of the of where they were killed i mean this is in the middle of nowhere correct so that's not so much a fact we know they knew them that's a fact we believe that they're local why because the probability would tell us that that that's probably likely now 
Another great thing that they did early in this investigation with their words and language to the public is what they said about the marijuana stuff. Because everything is a potential lead in your case until it's not. All right. So let's find a reason for this not to be a lead. And I think there are some people out there that think that, look, it was maybe a little, uh, uh, a little overzealous, a, a little, a little too much to be pushing this marijuana thing. And I don't think they were really pushing it. I think they were just making a purpose to mindfully make sure we mention it when we are talking about this case. This is something that we found on three of these four properties. Now, what they're saying to themselves is until this is no longer a lead, it's a potential lead. So we're at least going to throw that out there. And the thing that's funny is that Law enforcement will often often pick their words and choose their words in a way so that they can mislead the public without directly lying to them, right? So if you say, we found three grow operations on each property, you know, we found a grow op- marijuana grow operation on each of these, on three of the four properties, a freaking grow operation, if you really want to go get to the core of it, could be a single plant and a freaking hose and a spigot, right? That's a grow operation. They're not lying to you. I don't know exactly what they found, um, nor do I they never really... present. They never presented the photo evidence or anything about and it. They don't have to. And you know why, Bill? Because here's what they know going into this. We have the fact that the killer or killers knew the rodents, right? We're building yes. our investigation off of that cornerstone. Now, that means that people that knew the rodents probably knew that they smoked pot or maybe had some small dealings in pot, uh, maybe gave it away to some friends, whatever. But at the time, that's an illegal activity. As small time as it is, it's an illegal activity. That's some leverage that they can have on you, Bill, or me, Nick, and come to me and say, well, we know you were smoking pot with the the rodents, Nick, or we know that uh, you, you, you bought some pot off of these guys uh, because here's the thing. Your investigation has already told you the killers know the rodents. Well, guess what? People that know the rodents are now all suspects, number one. And two, there's a very strong likelihood that people that knew the rodents know the killer or killers. So you need to open up those doors and get those people to talk And maybe you're not choosing the most friendly of manners for that to happen. You're choosing leverage. And you're saying you're throwing that out there just out of um, pure fear almost to the people that know the rodents that uh, this is, you're not saying it's a lead. I don't recall them ever saying that that is the angle that they were working on the case. They were like, they're like, you can even hear Mike DeWine say it in one of the press conferences. He's like, and we should say that we did find evidence of a grow operation. And you hear him like pause and one of his advisors or some, you know, some sheriff or someone is going uh, at three of the four locations. He goes, and Mike DeWine goes, at three of the four locations, you know, he's Mm -hmm. being fed the information. And I do want to throw this out there. They would not been able to get the answers that we have today without the hard work and effort by DeWine and his office. Now we should fill in the, the out of state listeners, but Mike DeWine at the time was the attorney general here yes. in the, the great state of Ohio, the Buckeye state. And 
<laughs> I'm going to, somebody's going to throw tomatoes at me here, but, uh, and this is one thing that I cannot stand about, about the world that we live in today. There's a lot of great things that we wor- live about the world that we live in today. One thing that I cannot stand is if you say that you like someone today, that being a politician or a person in office somewhere, you've immediately upset half the room. Politics aside, Republican, Democrat, I don't care. I, I liked the work that Mike DeWine did on this case. I liked the work that he did overall uh, during his time in office as the Attorney General of Ohio. And I have, or I am hoping at least, that Dave Yost, the new Ohio Attorney General, will live up to the standard that was set by Mike DeWine in his office. And, and before you throw your tomatoes, here's my joke that I always stick with. Ted Bundy was a Republican. John Wayne Gacy was a Democrat. That's why I'm an independent. Fair, fair enough. And I would say that DeWine definitely, you know, he's held his own over the past few years and he's faced down a bunch of stuff. And yeah, people, politics aside, he did a good job on this case. And uh, yeah, I'm on board with you on that one. I wonder you know, this is an interesting thing that I came across is when they found the crime scene, they rounded up all the relatives that were still alive. You know, once they discovered eight, fam- you know, that eight people from the same family were murdered, there were some, I think it was a hundred relatives that were living in the area that they basically, they met at a church and advised the, these family members that if these other family members were a target, then you guys are probably targets too. And the sheriff was quoted as saying, I told them to be armed. <laughs> and just to think about that for a second, it's the fear yeah. that that must have sent through that family um, without having any true sense of what really, what really happened. Um that had to have been terrifying, a terrifying media. And, and they're not trying to scare the family. They're just trying to make the family be aware that, listen, you could have a target on your back if these other people were killed as well. So just be aware. And I think this is when you can kind of look back at the case and say, um, what about those kids? Why didn't those kids get killed? And other than the fact that, yes, you mentioned that somebody could have had a, you know, compassionate heart as they were committing this crime and left these children unharmed. But I think it leads to another question. And the question is, why did these kids survive and why were they left unharmed? I mean, the four the four day old baby was killed laying in the arms of her mother i mean that is absolutely awful alive Uh, yeah found alive found alive and i mean that's there's a reason for that i mean what 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 do you think about well so i I, the problem for the perpetrators becomes the three-year-old right there's there were three survivors here that when we say survivors look there's a lot of people in the extended family that thank god they weren't targeted nor attacked Right. But there were three survivors that were actually found in a residence or residences of where these attacks and murders went down. And they were all children. I think three, six months, three years old, six months old, and like just days old. Yes. And 
so the problem for the perpetrators become the three-year-old, a four, a four day old, five day old kid is not uh, identifying anyone. And a six month old baby is not identifying anyone. A three-year-old can speak and can tell you what he or she saw. And so what I think we have here is a, a, a mindful effort of, and a plan in advance of if we, the killers knew what to expect to find as far as people go inside each of these residents. That's obvious to me. They knew what to expect once they, however they entered the homes, they knew, Hey, here I'm expecting to find three people or four people in this household. I'm probably one of these people that I find in there is going to be a baby. And so I think that they've, there was a discussion in advance of, okay, we're killing A, B, and C, but we're not killing the small children. And again, the problem is the three-year-old. So the three-year-old isn't able to provide anything as far as we know in the investigation as to tipping off investigators as to the identity of the killers. And from what little bit I've reviewed about the three-year-old statements to law enforcement, it sounds like there was a decent chance that the three-year-old may never have been awake during the actual attack. Now, the the overall headliner for most of this case has been eight people in the Roden family killed execution style. Well, a big batch of them were actually killed in their sleep. They were never even aware that they were there was an intruder in their home or that they were about to be attacked. So I think in the situation with the three-year-old, you probably have one of two, if not both things occurring. The, the perpetrators, I would believe that they would want to disguise themselves, even if it's something as simple as a ski mask. Um, sure. So if, if the three-year-old does see you or wakes up during the attack, they're not going to be able to identify you, especially if you don't have to speak during the commission of your crime. And why would you speak? Well, you would either be addressing the people that you're attacking or you are there with another perpetrator and you have to communicate to one another. But if you've planned everything out nice and neat, then there's no need to communicate with one another or address your, your victims because in large part, what was so complicated about the investigation itself was the unknown motive of the the purpose of killing this whole family. And that's, again, why the the references to the marijuana grow operation, and we keep saying that, and I, and I, I think it was much more small time. I think it was probably just for personal use and probably uh, to pass out the friends from time to time. Sure. Um and then they even mentioned cockfighting at some point. Oh, um, oh, that that one. I forgot to even bring up that rumor. You know, DeWine, I mean, and this isn't anything against DeWine at all. It's just the fact that he brings it up that, yes, we found stuff that is connected to uh, a cockfighting, you know, what what is used in cockfighting. And it's just like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on in this town and going on in this family? And it's like, they're almost like throwing everything at the ball when they're talking, you know, not everything, but they're throwing these wild things out there that are sort of um, easily dis, you know, counted, I think. Mm -hmm. And what you have is you have an, a public who wants answers, but these 
answers that they're giving to the public aren't the answers they want, but they are enough to run with. And I think they might have had an idea earlier than they let on about the possible motive in this crime. That's kind of where I feel um, at a certain point they kind of, you know, it kind of goes quiet after a while in this investigation. But but you know. again, in their defense, I actually think it's rather a rather intelligent way of leading their investigation. I, w- I was not saying it was intelligent or right. not intelligent. I was no, agreeing. and I I know, and 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 I, it's just interesting to me the angle that they played of okay, well, we have some reason to believe that there was illegal activity going on 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 a couple of these properties, and therefore their their extended family or friends may know or have participated in some of this illegal activity. So again, that's our leverage and that's our, our way of trying to get those closest to the family to talk, because as you pointed out earlier, so astutely that they have these people close to the Broden family also have reasons to fear for their own lives, to not talk. And, and yeah, you're right. The, the, the words of the sheriff, and I don't have his name in front of me here, but uh, it, it's like you're thankful that he was so truthful, but it's also terrifying to hear him warn the family of saying Charles, Charles reader. Yeah. He's saying, look, obviously your family has been targeted for reasons unknown at this point in our investigation. So we don't know where the targeting stops. Where is that line? Who, who is inside the circle of being targeted and who is outside of it? We don't know in our investigation. So I am not only am I telling you that you could be a target, he's publicly telling the world, I told them to arm themselves. Um, and hopefully they offered some kind of uh, surveillance. I, I, I couldn't see why they wouldn't. Uh, another thing that was was really intelligent too in this investigation was that it was very quickly, I, I think almost from Jump Street, Bill, handed off to BCI, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation. Because, yeah. And this is no, you know, this doesn't mean any any ill will or, or ill words to uh, anybody down there in Pike County, but this was the type of case, the type of investigation that would take an agency such as BCI to step in and, and overtake this thing. Yeah. You know, they, they definitely were uh, a big part of this investigation and, you know, there's something I wanted to read a statement that Charles reader put out when they were investigating the case and, you know, whether or not there was some stonewalling going on. And I want to read it verbatim because it basically, it really kind of, tells you where the case is going and and kind of backs up where what I was thinking about, you know, did they already sort of have an idea? And the statement is read, quote, I will say that I met with the attorney general, his staff, my staff assigned to the investigation and the family in the past weeks. I feel strongly that the case is going in the right direction. I would like to urge anyone withholding any information to come forward. I have made it clear that anyone who has lied to investigators or has purposefully misled them in any manner in this case will be arrested and charged accordingly. The search for the killers is my top priority. 
We are not investigating anyone for criminal activity that they feel may incriminate themselves on and speaking with them to solve eight murders. Come forward, be truthful, or we will be coming to arrest and charge anyone that are obstructing any of it any officials investigating this horrific crime. That's including family, friends, and neighbors of the victims, if necessary. This case will be solved. We are working for the eight victims of murder. Anyone that has or attempts to delay, hamper, or mislead authorities in any fashion will be charged and arrested, period. So when you see, when you hear him say that, what the hell do you think he's trying to convey? Well, first off, kudos to you, my friend, for including his statement in your presentation of this case. But those are powerful words. It's a powerful statement. And I'm so glad it's rare you, too. To it's very out. rare. Yes. And I'm very glad that you included it here too, because it for those that don't know the case so well, it really helps to uh, solidify the 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 magnitude of of what was going on at the time. And this for the investigators as well. And what's so interesting about that statement to me, Bill, is the obvious line of, of, uh, you know, if anybody has lied to us, we will seek charges. You will be arrested and charged uh, for lying to us, for obstructing justice. And what that tells me is that they, when they're releasing that statement, two things. One, they're already under the impression for whatever reason that they've been lied to by somebody in the course of their early stages of the investigation. And two, they anticipate that they will be lied to again in the future by the same person or other people as well. And that's a, uh, you know, hey, hey, if you do this, we're going to do this. Um, and that, that's a warning. They need people to talk in almost every case. We, we see that time and time again. And this is one of those cases where it could not be more true. The weird and bizarre thing with this case was, you know, they go into it and I'm sure that they felt pretty confident going into the case because again, they have the fact that strong, hardcore fact of knowing whoever killed the rodents knew them. No doubt. So there should be a trace. We should be able at some point to find a link between victim and killer or victims and killers. And the thing that becomes very difficult in this situation, though, for the investigation is there's so many victims. There's eight victims. Now, seven of them could have been targeted for the simple fact that one of them was the actual target. Oh, but we won't. We don't want to leave this all messy and and get caught doing what we are doing. So to keep this neat and tidy, we got to kill as many people as we possibly can. And I have to wonder in this situation, Bill, is this uh, is this one of those situations of, you know, one of the questions that they're going to, Bill, you and I, uh, we you know we have a relationship. We're friends, and mm. um, let's say something terrible happened to me, right. And police were going to interview you. They go, all right, Nick and Bill were friends. Uh, let's talk to Bill. Maybe he knows something. Maybe he's a suspect. Uh, but Jeez. Uh, I've just, I, just, I couldn't help but throw that in. I've, I've had three oh, cups of coffee. Throw uh, me under the wait bus. Wait till the fourth one comes. But oh, um, the uh, they're going to ask Bill and all of the people that know me that they interview multiple questions. But one question is always going to be the same. Do you know anyone that would want to harm this individual 
and why? Is there a chance that in this case that there was only one person that, that people wanted to harm and had reasons to do so, but the other seven victims are people that would have had an answer to that freaking question. And the perpetrator or perpetrators knew in advance, if I off Nick, Bill's going to go, yeah, it was, uh, you know, this guy, uh, he, he's a real scumbag. He's had it out for Nick for years and even, even threatened his life. Uh, well then you got to keep it neat and clean. And so now you're sifting through the Roden family information in your investigation going, all right, were they all Were they all actually the target? Who, who was the nucleus here and who was collateral damage? And you're sifting through all eight victims. And so you had the quote unquote grow operations. You had the quote unquote cockfighting, which for the, it's almost laughable. I, I think that the only, the only evidence that I've seen so far released that there was potential cockfighting was that there were um, uh, different rooster, you know, there were roosters that were caged separately on one of the uh, properties. Yes. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I do live in Ohio. So I know, I know people who raise chickens and this is going to be, this is going to be disgusting and, and, and gruesome here, Bill. Uh, but that's true crime garage, uh, who killed you expect a, a little bit of gruesomeness. Anybody that has familiarity with chickens and roosters, roosters are one of the angriest creatures on this planet. Okay. You can't, you have to cage them separately because they will kill one another. <laughs> they will kill the, and then what they do, the roosters are the worst. Uh, like they, they basically rape the chickens whenever they please. Good Lord. Yeah. So like, I know people that have chickens and stuff like, <laughs> I, um, uh, I remember, uh, we're getting a dozen chickens. You know, my buddy, my buddy tells me, I said, Oh, great. And so the, the chicken delivery arrives, uh, well, the chicken delivery went bad. Well, what what's wrong with the chicken delivery? I don't, you know, again, I don't know any of this stuff. Well, they dropped off nine, nine chicken. We were getting a dozen. Uh, we, they gave us nine chickens and three roosters. Three roosters is a problem. You do not want more than one rooster in your chicken delivery, from what I understand from these people. So common sense <laughs> would tell you that you, you're going to have to cage these things separately or they're going to run amok. Um so I, I've not seen any actual evidence of cock fighting, but um, the other thing though was early on they found some suspicion of that one of the victims was feuding with some other family about some kind of incident. It, it was it was the teenage victim. Yeah, it was the, uh, Christopher, uh, the sixteen-year-old, who I guess he was threatened on Facebook or something. There was there there was that threat on Facebook that also became a kind of a red herring that they, you know, a lead that they followed. But, but, you know, what's really interesting in all these cases is that, you know, you look at an autopsy and okay, an autopsy is going to show you a lot. And in this case, I think is an example of that, because what you see is you see one of the victims was shot nine times. Hmm. Yeah, one of Nine the male victims. Times. Was it the oldest male? They never said. I don't believe. I don't believe they said. I 
I actually found it somewhere, but you're right. There, there was little information out there. And in fact, there was a feud in the state of Ohio on them releasing the autopsy information. Yes. We, we yes. had media look and we're, we, it, in, in some form are media. Correct. Uh, so I know that saying this. Um, so again, hold the tomatoes, please. Mm-hmm. But F the media, man. I get mad when media messes with an investigation, especially one that I, I think was this investigation. Look, it, it, it took years. But again, from looking at it now, in hindsight, I see a well-oiled machine here in this investigation. And I think very early on, they knew a lot of stuff that we didn't know. And we don't need to know. We don't, if, when it get, if it gets solved at the end of the day, I do not care if I don't know Jack about it until it gets solved. My number one concern is that it gets solved. We had at least two newspaper. I believe they were newspapers that sued, tried to sue the state uh, or the County. I don't know which it was, but they were suing somebody because they're like, well, they won't release these documents to us. This autopsy information. And, you know, DeWine comes out and he says, look, we, we can't because of our investigation. We have, Things inside these autopsies, uh, we have things that the investigation hinges upon in these documents. And so they're like, oh, well, DeWine is just he's just passing the buck and uh, he's, you know, he's he's delaying us seeing these. I don't know. I have I have a very hard time believing that the newspapers knowing the autopsy information would have helped the investigation at all. I actually think it probably could have hurt the investigation. And so what ends up happening, if I recall correctly, is I believe that they released, they did release the documents, but it's one of those things where you, you get a piece of paper that's just filled with black lines and no, no actual words. Yeah. Kudos to them, to the attorney general's office, you know, here, you want your information. Here you go. There's your information. Thank you so much to Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast for taking time out of his busy schedule to join me this week to discuss the Pike County Massacre. Their show can be found wherever you get your podcasts, but all of their back catalog can be found on Stitcher, and they release new episodes on Tuesdays each week. Now, part two of this series will drop next Friday. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. As you know, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As always, if you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes, or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. Every contribution, big or small, really helps to keep these slow burn podcasts on the air. Now, you can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to this show. Those five stars help keep the important cases that I cover, such as the Amy Mahalovic case, in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next week's episode part two, be healthy and stay safe. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. 